a, what we would call a, a theological concept, a truth about how God operates. You know, you respond to events in life, circumstances good and bad, based on your theology, what you believe about God. So it's very important what you believe about God, how you view God, what you think He's up to, how you think He deals with you, uh, how He operates, what are His ways. So I'm going to talk to you about the concept of providence, and this is so um, important. Matter of fact, the concept of providence, understanding God's providence has saved my life, saved my sanity more than once. There is a rest that comes when you can trust God's providence. I'm going to take four people in the next four weeks, uh, Naomi and Ruth, or Naomi mainly today, but also Ruth. Next week, Joseph. The week after, um, Abraham. I believe it's Abraham. Yeah, well, Abraham's one of them. We're going to take four Bible characters. And I'm going to show you how the providence of God operated in every one of them. But let's pray together because it's so important that this understanding is deposited in your heart. God doesn't want us blown about by every wind that comes along. He doesn't want us knocked out of the saddle. He doesn't want us giving up on God. He doesn't want us walking away. He wants us strong. So let's pray together. And then we're going to read these before we're seated. Just a couple of passages out of Ruth. Father, I pray that an understanding of the providence and the sovereignty of God is deposited in us as a church congregation in the next four weeks. Lord, I pray, give us understanding and give us wisdom. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, teach me. I receive your word. Now, before you're seated, let's look at the book of Ruth and... We're jumping right in the middle of the story. Naomi and Ruth are headed back to Bethlehem after having been in Moab that I'm going to talk to you about in just a minute. But there they are headed back. It says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that the entire city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, snapping, Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara bitter. You just picture these women. Whoa. Sorry. And we'll look at what she says. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And then she tells why she feels this way. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. She's not a good evangelist. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Now, Father, thank you for your word today. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Providence. Now, like I told you, this, this understanding of providence has saved me in the past. Saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of worry and a lot of... Uh, distress. And so I'm going to talk to you the next few weeks from several different vantage points. It's going to take me four weeks to get this really in us. The subject of, of divine providence didn't used to be anything uh, that you rarely heard about. Matter of fact, it was talked about all the time from Christian pulpits. 
providence all the time. The great preachers of history preached on providence regularly. When you went to church, you were likely to hear something about divine providence. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said this, The doctrine of divine providence has been received by wise men in all ages. It was believed by many of the eminent heathens. Think about that. Even the heathens understood providence, believed in it. Not only philosophers, but orators and poets as well. Providence was something that was ingrained in the culture. By nature, people believed that if there was a God, then He was providential. He was in charge. The Roman orator Cicero wrote these things. He said, All things, all events in this world are under the management of God. That is a statement in the belief of providence. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, probably the greatest pastoral preacher in the history of Christendom, said this to his people. I am constantly talking about providence in my preaching. And I thought it quite well uh, to devote a whole sermon to explain what I believe are God's great wonder-working processes, which we call providence. Spurgeon, telling his people, um, you always hear me, it's my drumbeat, it's my soapbox, I'm always talking to you about providence. I want you to understand providence. So since, I don't know, about a century or so ago, it seems that the church has lost a real grip of understanding on this subject of providence. You probably haven't heard very many messages about it at all. But it's a key and core teaching of the Bible. So what is providence? Well, I put it up there on the screen, so you might want to write this down so that you can understand just a basic definition of providence. Here it is. Providence is the belief that God has a plan. Everybody say to me, God has a plan. History is His story. God has a plan for the world and for our lives, and providence believes and teaches that He is working in the affairs of men every day fitting things together to accomplish His glorious purpose. Here's another one. Providence refers to His guidance, His protection, His control, His preservation in our lives to bring His will to pass. Take that word providence and you have provide unce. God provides. He cares for. He takes care of us. He guides. He leads. He is the Lord of history. In a nutshell, providence refers to God being in ultimate control of all things. Now let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Scripture testifies that God is providential over nature. In Genesis, following the great flood, God promised Noah, He said, listen Noah, be comforted. I'm never going to drown the earth, the earth again in a great flood of water. He said, here's my promise. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Only God could say, I'm promising you the seasons are going to go on like they always have because I am providential over nature. I'm the Lord over nature. And He is providentially in charge of the animal kingdom. God holds the life of all creatures in His hand. The Bible says, Jesus said, Not a sparrow falls to the ground without your Father's permission. Even a little sparrow God is providential over. 
He also taught, taught us that God provides for his creation sovereignly and providentially. Remember, provide us. He provides for his creation. Jesus said, walking with the disciples one day, he said, look at those birds up there. Now think about it with me, said Jesus. They don't sow seed. They don't they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, they don't gather a storehouse of food into barns, yet your heavenly Father, who? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than one of those sparrows? And we were to be comforted by that, because if he takes care of a sparrow, he's going to take care of you. He's our provider, because he's providential over his creation. And God's providence rules the nations. Can I tell you today that God is providential over Egypt. He's providential over Wisconsin. And the riots happening there now. God is providential over the Middle East. History is racing towards God's final destination and destiny for the world. God is providential over the nations. Psalms 47 says, God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. He's in charge. And God is also providential over the lives of individuals. Although it says a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And God is providential over even the smallest thing. Have you ever like lost a key and God helped you to find it? God knew right where that key was. Think about it. The God that flung the stars into space knew where your key fell. And when you prayed and said, Lord, please help me to find that key, you ran right across that key because God knew where it was. He directed your steps towards it because God is providential over even the smallest things. Jesus said, not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. And he said, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Because God is providential over everything and everyone and all the created order. Now let me bring some, some balance to our understanding of providence. Even though God is sovereign and God is providential, we should not interpret all negative things that happen to us as a sign of God's displeasure. Now I'm going to say that again. Some of you need that. Just because God is providential does not mean that every negative thing that happens to us is a sign of God's displeasure. Everything that happens to you is not the result of the providence of God, though God is providential over all things. The Bible reveals that, for instance, some things are the result of satanic attack. Remember Job? Everything that happened to Job came from the devil with God's permission. Satan took everything that he had but his life. It was a satanic attack against his life and his integrity and his walk with God. Jesus himself clearly warned you and I. He said, listen, let me tell you about the devil. He only came to kill and steal and destroy you. But I came that you might have life. What was Jesus telling us? There are times the devil is going to attack you. He's going to tempt you. He's going to try to bring you down. And that does not come from God. In his parable of the wheat and the tares, when the tares were discovered growing right up next to the wheat, Jesus said this about the tares, an enemy has done this. Sometimes we need to look at what's happening in our life and we need to discern and say, you know what, that's not from God. An enemy has done that so that you can rebuke it and deal with it. So just because God is sovereign or providential over all things doesn't mean that everything that happens to you and to me 
is from him. Other things might be the consequence of the actions of evil men. Like a drunken driver, we read about it all the time. A Christian person driving down the highway, and a drunken driver leaves his lane, comes over, crash, and the Christian goes home. That was not from God. That was the result of evil men. Or a murder, or a theft. And some things are just accidental. When the Tower of Siloam fell in Luke 13 and killed 18 people in a terrible accident, the people who watched that happen came running to Jesus and blamed it on God's judgment. And Jesus did not agree with that. Jesus did not agree with them that God had done it. He said, let me tell you what you need to get from this accident. If you don't repent, you will also likewise perish. And he left it there. The promise of providence. Now, please get this today, church. Providence does not say nothing bad will happen to you. Bad things happen to good people all the time. It's one of the mysteries of the world. I don't understand how an 80-year-old man who is evil to the core lives all of his life long and dies in an old age when a good, righteous young man dies young. I don't know why that happens, but here's what I do know. Life's not fair, but God is good. Life's not fair, but God is good. And the promise of providence and the understanding of providence and the concept of providence is that though God is not directly responsible for all the bad things that may happen to you or to me, He does promise. Providence promises to override all things by His providence and work them for our good. Romans 8, 28. He makes all things work together. His providence makes all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When the enemy attacks or flesh attacks or circumstances seem to turn against us, I guarantee you providence is at work like a silver lining running through your problems and running through your distress. The providence of God is at work and God has declared no matter what you experience, He's going to make it bow and work for your good. That's the message of providence. Now let me give you a little illustration. Let's just say that, that, I'm, uh, that we've, we're going to go on a cruise ship to the Bahamas. Anybody want to go? We're going to go on a cruise ship to the Bahamas and you get on that great big cruise ship and you've got a captain and you've got crew and then you've got about a thousand people or so. Let's just say there's a thousand. And, and amongst those thousands of people or that thousand people, you've got people who, who know the captain, love the captain, and don't want to bother the captain or hurt the captain. They want to do the captain's bidding. They don't want to make the, the journey difficult because they love him or know him or they obey law and honor law. They are a joy to have on the cruise, but also you've got people who fully intend to get drunk, who fully intend to be involved in immorality, who a murder may happen, theft may happen, bad and good both happen on that ship. But the captain has set out for a destination, and he is at the helm, and he's taking that thousand people, the good, the bad, and the ugly. His destination is unaltered and unhindered. No matter what happens on the ship, he's going to get you to the destination irresistibly, irrefutably, unstoppably, sovereign. He's going to get you there. They're all going to arrive. 
Let me tell you something. Jesus is the captain of the ship of this world. And out in this world, we've got people who love the captain. We've got people that hate the captain. We've got people that fully intend to worship him and people who don't intend to obey him at all. But he's still guiding the ship to an ultimate destination and everyone is going to arrive in one condition or another. That's a picture of sovereignty. So the next four weeks, I want to deal with four people. Naomi, and we're, with Naomi today, we're going to see providence at work in the valley of failed expectations. And then next week, Joseph, providence at work through the heartbreak of broken dreams, one of my favorites. And then the week after, Esther, providence at work in the crisis of perilous circumstances. And then the last week, Abraham, providence at work in the hour of desperate need. Now today, let's look at Naomi and providence at work in the midst of incredible loss. Now, Naomi's story, how many of you love the Word of God? Listen, if you've never read the book of Ruth, read it. Ruth shows us that God is working in the worst of times because Naomi's story takes place in the times of the judges. If you read the book of Judges, it is grim. Those people in the book of Judges were described this way. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Sound like today? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That means we've rejected God, rejected His Word, and we're going our own way. Where the Bible says there is a way that looks right to a man, but the end of it is death. That's why we need the Bible. But every man did what was right in his own eyes. They had rejected God, rejected the Word, rejected Moses' commandments, and great spiritual darkness had fallen. And the book of Ruth takes place during the book of Judges. Because of the sin of the people, a providential God had sent a providential famine. When a nation grieves God, the Bible shows us that God will judge it by touching the breadbasket. God judges a nation by touching the money, the finances, the food. And that's exactly what he did. And he was basically trying to lead these people to a place of repentance. Because when your food's taken away, Bethlehem is where they were living. Bethlehem called the house of bread, yet there was no bread in the house of bread. Because God had touched the breadbasket, judging them for their sin and for forsaking Him. Due to this famine, a family decided, rather than repenting and asking God to restore and coming back to Him, this family decided to get out of Dodge and flee the famine and save their own lives. It was the family of Naomi. Her husband's name was Elimelech. Her two boys' names were Malon and Kilion. And they set out for the land of Moab to weather out the storm. They set out for Moab to dodge the famine. Rather than getting right with God, they went to Moab. And going to Moab was a huge mistake because God had forbidden His people from having anything to do with the Moabites. Deuteronomy 23, here's what God said to the people directly through Moses. He said, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt and entered the wilderness. They did not help you. They didn't feed you. As a matter of fact, they hired Balaam to try to curse you 
And then God said, you shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. You will have nothing to do with the Moabites. The land was cursed and that people was cursed. So to save their lives, they sought refuge in a cursed land. Let me tell you something. This story here is a great picture of what it is like and what it means and how serious it is to get out from under God's word. Because they decided, well, I'm just going to go my own way, do my own thing. We're hungry. Gee, God will understand. You've got to be careful what you do with your hungers. Give your hungers to the lordship of Jesus because your hungers can get you in trouble if they're not under lordship. So we've got to eat so God will understand. But they walked into a cursed land with a cursed people. And what began as a brief sojourn ended up being a 10-year stay. And that's the way sin is. When you sin, you always stay longer than you thought you would and go further than you thought you should. You say, oh, I'm just going to go and dabble a little bit here and there, but I won't stay long. But with sin, you always end up staying longer than you thought you would, and you always end up going further than you thought you should. And so it was with this family. Now, here's what began to happen. Because they got out from under the protection of God, out from under the Word of God, not long after arriving, the husband, Elimelech, died. And her two sons went on to marry Moabite girls, which was also forbidden. God had said, do not intermarry with the pagan tribes. But there they go, marrying pagan girls. One of them named Orpah and the other named Ruth. Now, lo and behold, before long, both sons also died because they were out from under the protection of God. Leaving Naomi only with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. Well, you can imagine Naomi... Here she is. She's left Bethlehem, the house of bread. She's gone off to Moab, and within 10 years, every man in the family is gone. This was major to a woman back in those days. There was no feminism or women's live in those days. The men were the bread earners, and now there's no men. Naomi wakes up and looks around her and says, What in the world has happened? I've got one tragedy after another. First a famine. Then I lose my husband. Then I lose one son. Then I lose the second son. Then she hears that God has returned bread back in Bethlehem, that God has given bread again, that the famine is over. So she announces that she's going to go back. What else is there to do? Why stay in Moab? Uh, there's nothing here for me. And the girls were going to go with her. But she said to Orpah and she said to Ruth, no, don't go with me. I've got nothing I can give you. There's nothing I can do for you. I've got no more sons. So Go back to your people and go back to your gods, plural. Telling us for sure the Moabites were steeped in polytheism, multi-gods. They did not know the one God. They had been raised in paganism, raised worshiping a bunch of dumb idols. Well, Orpah wept but then kissed her and went back to her people and went back to her gods. But it says, but Ruth refused to go. So she had a lever and she had a cleaver. How many of you have noticed that most of the world is comprised of levers? And isn't it a blessing when God gives you a cleaver, somebody that says, no matter what you're going through, I'm there with you. No matter what you experience, what the valley is, how hot the fire is, I'm not going anywhere. I'm your friend. I'm sticking by your side. And that's all there is to it. So don't try to talk me out of it. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. Come on, everybody. Don't you like people like that? That's a real friend. 
Ruth refused to go and deliver one of the most beautiful and classic pronouncements of loyalty and commitment in all of recorded literature. Here's what she said. Imagine having this said to you, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, that's good enough for me. I'll lodge there. Your people will be my people. That's Ruth saying, I'm done with the Moabites. I'm done with where I grew up. I'm leaving everything behind. And your God will be my God. I'm leaving the polytheistic religion I was raised in. I'm going to go worship the true God. Even though you have told me he's done nothing but hurt you, I'm embracing your God. And where you die, Naomi... That's where I'm going to die. And there is where I'm going to be buried. I will not be buried in the land of Moab. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. Who could argue with that? She said, okay, let's go. But you're not walking with a blessed woman. Together the two women left Moab, returned to Bethlehem. And upon hearing that the Lord had visited his land with bread... Now, when they arrived, we've already read it, but let's read it again. When they arrived, all the city, it says the whole city was excited. Remember, they've been gone 10 years. And they asked a question that I think is very telling. They looked at her and they said, is, is, is that Naomi? You know, I've told you, ladies, walking with God will help your looks. I'm serious. We, we guys don't care as much, but you ladies, let me tell you something. Walking with God can do what Calvin Klein and, and, and Mary Kay cannot ever do for your face. <laughs> walking with God, it says, puts joy on your countenance. I believe that walking with God helps the way that you look. I really believe they were saying, I is that Naomi? You know why? Because she was bitter. She had been 10 years out of the will of God. She said to them, don't you call me Naomi pleasant? I'm not a pleasant one. Don't call me that anymore, but you call me bitter. Can you imagine saying, hey, here comes old bitter. Hey, bitter. Can you imagine that? <laughs> hey, bitter, how you doing? She said, you call me bitter for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And again, she summed up the cause of her deep disillusionment. I went out full. I went out with a husband. I went out with two boys. I went out with hopes and dreams. I went out full of expectation and hope. I went out with happy prospects. I went out with a picture in my mind of how my life was going to turn out. But the opposite has happened to me. So why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? She's bitter. Naomi has become a bitter old woman. Worst way to get old. Get old any old way, but don't get old bitter. Call me bitter, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. All that Naomi is seeing here is what she has lost. I know people, they won't tell you, call me bitter. But if you sit down with them for five minutes, they might as well tell you to call them bitter. They live in bitterness. They live mad at God. They live mad at life. They feel that they got the raw end of the life deal. They feel that God hasn't been good to them. Something went wrong in their faith or in their life or in the... what They can't necessarily tell you. But they're not happy with things. 
They're bitter. They're embittered. They wake up thinking negative, go to bed thinking negative. They live all their day long thinking negatively, born under a bad sign, done wrong, done dirty, nothing ever goes right. And they'll rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it as long as you will listen. That's what I want to see this church protected from. Because if you understand and believe in providence, you cannot end up that way. I'm going to say that again. If you believe in the good providence of God, that life's not fair, but God is good, you cannot end up old and bitter. She's disappointed, disillusioned, and disconnected from God when we meet Naomi in Bethlehem. Disappointed, disillusioned, disconnected from God. The Bible talks about the effect these kinds of failed expectations have on people. The Bible says hope deferred or delayed or put off or disappointed. Disappointed hope makes the heart sick. Matthew Henry wrote this about that verse. He said, nothing is more grievous than the disappointment of a high expectation when it's delayed. It sickens the heart. Man, I just knew this was going to happen. I just thought for sure I was going to end up there. I just knew I was going to attain that or experience this or go there or have this or have that. But time went on and it wasn't there and it wasn't there. My heart is sick. I'm disappointed. And even worse, when our hope is not just delayed, but it's totally dashed. It crushes the heart when your hope never comes to pass at all. The higher our expectation, the more cutting is the frustration when it fails. Now I'm going to give you a fact of spiritual warfare. Listen very carefully to me, because this is life. Everybody has failed expectations. Everybody has letdowns. Everybody has disappointments. Providence does not promise none of that will happen to you. Providence does promise that God has a plan. Here's the fact of spiritual warfare. It is in the presence of failed expectations when you feel let down and disappointed and disillusioned that Satan swoops in upon the weak in faith to overthrow your walk with God. I dealt recently with a, a couple, not from here, really weren't from here. I'll give you an example. This couple had, the, the guy had a friend, a guy friend, and this guy friend got cancer. So he said, I, I knew the Bible talked about healing. This couple was in church every single week. They were in church every week with their family. Their life revolved around church and God. But he said, now, here's my friend with cancer, so uh, I know that it's God's will to heal him. So he began to pray that he'd be healed. He named it, he claimed it, he blabbed it, he grabbed it. He said, I know that it's going to happen. He quoted the scriptures, he quoted the word, he prayed, he believed God, he told his friend what God had, uh, had told him, and the friend died. He said, that's it. It wasn't real. It wasn't true. And he walked out of church took his family out of church, walked away from God, doesn't even want you to bring it up. Let me tell you about him. He had faulty faith because he had faulty understanding of the ways of God. See, when I don't get what I want, 
I just look up and say, you know, I trust, Lord, that you know more than I do. And I believe in providence. And I believe if I don't get what I want, then you've got something better than if you gave me what I wanted. I wouldn't get what you wanted. And what you want for me is better than what I wanted. So I'm willing to be disappointed long enough to let you give me what you wanted me to have. <laughs> Period. So God takes so long. Let me tell you something. God said, my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And, your, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know what that's telling us? There's going to be a lot of times we don't understand. There will be so many times you've got to just say, you know what, Lord, I prayed for this, but it didn't happen. So I'm going to drop back and I'm going to punt. And the way I punt is I lean on providence. That life is not fair, but God is good. But if you don't have a grip on providence, here's what you say to yourself. Well, if God was there, how could he let this happen? Or if God were all-powerful, he could have done what I asked. Why didn't he do it? If God really loved me, he would have stopped this. Really? Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He's going to sift you like wheat. I prayed for you. Now, what I would have liked Jesus to have said is, I prayed for you, and I stopped that rascal. That's not what he said. I prayed for you that when he does sift you, your faith holds up. Providence. And what happened? Peter denied the Lord three times. He went out and wept bitterly. He went back to his old life, back to his old haunts, back to fishing in the lake. But his faith returned. He returned to Jesus, and he was the preacher at Pentecost. What did he realize? Jesus was providential. Even though he did not stop me from going through a tough time, he saw me through the tough time, providentially strengthened me in the tough time, and now I'm back in the saddle preaching the Word of God. So you don't say, if God really loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen. You need to know that in the middle of the fire and in the middle of the trouble, he is there. That young man's faith revealed a faulty understanding of God's character and God's goodness. And so did Naomi's. The promise of providence is no matter what comes our way, God's providence is, is going to work it out for our good and to His glory. That's the promise. That is inexorable. It can't be stopped. God's going to do that. Naomi does not see providence already moving in the person of Ruth. Here's what I've realized. Usually when you're going through pain, you can't see what God's doing to help you. You're seeing through the lens of pain. Here's Naomi. Oh, I went out empty, I come back, or went out full, came back empty. She didn't come back empty. That wasn't even true. Right here under her arm was Ruth. How do you think that little Moabite woman was able to say what she said and leave what she left to follow a woman that could give her nothing? Providence. He's right under her arm. And you know what God's message is to you and I today? When you're in your pain and you don't understand what's going on around you, there's a Ruth in the room somewhere. 
There's a Ruth. God will not leave you without a Ruth. It might be a word from him. It might be a friend. It might, it, whatever God chooses to use, he will not. Providence goes to work, to work it for your good. And usually we don't spot it at first, but it's there. And here's, she said, oh, I came back empty, but that wasn't even true. Here was Ruth, who would prove to be the key to the rest of her entire future. So say with me, Providence, Providence. will not leave me in my pain. Give God a hand of praise. It's true. Now, let me show you as we close. Let me show you how providence worked. Here we go. Naomi comes back to Bethlehem with Ruth. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Oh, God's testified against me. He's against me. He's afflicted me. God's put a target on me to destroy me. Right on her arm is God's blessing, who said, I'm not leaving you no matter what your condition is. Right here. So basically providence saying, I'm not leaving you. Here's Ruth. Well, they find a place to live, and next morning they wake up, and Ruth not being the depressed one, Naomi being the depressed one, Ruth said, I'm going to go find something to eat. She said, why don't you go glean in the fields? She said, okay, I'll go glean in the fields. The Bible says it just so happened that she chose the field of a man named Boaz. Out of all the fields she should have, could have chosen, God began to order her steps providentially. She's in the field. Well, Boaz was much older than her, but he's still a man. He saw her. said, who's that woman? Providence. In other words, she was attractive. She's a beautiful woman, much younger. Boaz comes out there to his field. He tells his workers, bless you. Have a blessed day. They said, you too have a blessed day. And then he spots her. He says, who's that woman? Oh, that's Ruth, and that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. And Oh, well, he said, listen, be sure that you tell the young men to leave her alone. Protection. And then you be sure that when she goes back tonight, she's got a sack full of seed and feed, grain, provision. Ruth says, why am I having all of this favor providence and so that night she comes home with a big sack full of grain and Naomi sees all this and says what in the world is all this about she said man there was this man what was his name his name was Boaz and then Naomi remembered something see here was the Hebrew law Hebrew law was if you as a man were married to a woman and you died and you had a brother that brother was to step in and marry the widow your former sister-in-law, marry her to keep your name alive and to keep hold of the property you had accumulated. He was called the kinsman redeemer. So she says, I forgot all about it. Boaz is related. She said, now Naomi's coming alive again. She sees a matchmaking in the making. Her wheels are turning. And she says, Ruth, he's going to be gleaning again today, right? Yeah. And he tonight, he's going to be celebrating the harvest, right? Right. And he's going to have a great time, and then he's finally going to go to sleep, right? Here's what I want you to do. You put on that pretty dress. You get out that olive oil perfume you've been saving all this time. You fix your hair, and you go, and you lay at his feet. And when he wakes up in the dark and says, who are you? Here's what you say. You're my Redeemer. Translated, 
marry me. That's waking up to something, huh? <laughs> she does just what Naomi, now the matchmaker, said. She lays down at his feet. He wakes up in the middle of the night. It's dark. He realizes somebody's at his feet. He says, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, and you are my kinsman redeemer. He said, there's one other person who could redeem you in the family. I'll check it out tomorrow. If he refuses, it's done. She goes home. She tells Naomi, don't you know Naomi was waiting at the door? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Come on, what happened? Don't you come, let me know. Come on. <laughs> oh, mother-in-law, it happened just like you said. Oh, of course it did. I'm good at this. And she said this. She said, hang on. He won't go to sleep tonight. The sun won't set before he has settled this issue. He goes out. He finds the other relative. He says, here's the deal. You want to redeem it? He said, I'll redeem the land. Boaz said, ah, but it's not just the land that you get. You've got to redeem Ruth and Naomi as well. You get a wife and a mother-in-law as well. You can't just make money off the land. You've got to take the land and the women. When he heard that he had to take the women, he said, bless God, I don't think I can do that. And Boaz was going, hot dog, all right. He said, well, I'm so sorry to hear that. Inside he's going, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> so they get married. Now watch this, providence. They get married. It says God gave her a child. It doesn't just say she conceived. It says God gave her a child. Here's Naomi. Here's Ruth leaving a destitute Moab a destitute place, a place of death, tragedy, heartache, disappointment, disillusionment, darkness. They come to the house of bread. They meet a kinsman redeemer. He redeems them, purchases them back, purchases the land that they have lost. They are married. A child is born. His name was Obed, O-B-E-D. Read the end of Ruth, and it says this, Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now Naomi is the grandmother of King David. The women said to her at the end, they said, don't you, now admit it to us, tell the truth. Ruth is worth more than seven sons to you. And she said, it's true. So when she thought God had left her, providence put Ruth right under her arm. There's a Ruth in your house. There's a Ruth in your life. You may feel forsaken by God, but there's a Ruth. God has not left you, and providence is going to work it out. Don't walk out. This, this is the final message of providence. Providence says, hang on. The final chapter has not been written. Don't put the book down in the middle. Don't walk out of the movie in the middle. God, the providential God, the ruling God, King God, the God of history is working on your behalf and He's going to make all His good purposes come to pass in your life. He is able to make all good things happen on your behalf. He's going to take what the enemy meant for evil and He's going to work it for your good. Hang around to the end.
Anytime it looks like the enemy is winning in my life, I lean on providence. And I say, Lord, I just trust the providence of God, and I'm not going to worry about it. It brings such peace. God's working for you. Can you stand with me today? And I just want to pray for you. And then please don't leave. Do not leave because something very important is going to be presented at the end of this service for just a few minutes, but very important. And um, I want you to hear it and be a part of it. But I want to pray for you. How many of you say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in a dark hour, a difficult time. And I needed to hear this today about providence. Boy, I needed to hear this. And to know that God is providentially working on my behalf. How many of you can say that? He's working. Weeping may endure for a night, but the providence of God will see to it that joy comes in the morning. Father, I pray for the people. I pray that you will help them, protect them. And Lord, increase our understanding of the providence of God that every wind of trouble does not blow us down. But we can say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And this is only for a season. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you needed this today, give him a hand of praise.